Our scripture reading for this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, the verses 1 through 24. Hear now the words of our God. After these things, the Lord appointed seventy others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. And then he said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I sent you out as lambs among wolves. Carry neither money bag, sack, or sandals, and greet no one along the road. But whatever house you enter, first say, Peace to this house. And if the son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. And heal the sick who are there, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter, and they do not receive you, go out into its streets, and say, The very dust of your city, which clings to us, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. But I say to you that it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented a great while ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment done for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be thrust down to Hades. He who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. And he who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. The seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirit are subject to you, but rather rejoice, because your names are written in heaven. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent, and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is but the Father, and one, and who the Father is but the Son, and the one whom the Son will reveal to him. And he turned to his disciples, and he said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and have not seen it, and to hear what you hear and have not heard it. So far, our scripture reading of this morning, and now 
the passage of the sermon is from this, from this chapter, the verses 17 through 20, and we'll read those, those few verses again. Then the seventy returns with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to him, to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, and many centuries ago, those great empires of our history, like the Babylonian Empire, the Persian, the Greek, were on their campaigns to conquer most of the then-known worlds. They did not besiege and destroy every city that they encountered. That would have been foolish, of course, but gain is there in ruling a destroyed world and world without people. Now, when, for example, the Greek emperor Alexander the Great, with his armies, was conquering the world, he had emissaries or heralds traveling ahead of him. And these heralds would go into the towns and the cities that were ahead of Alexander's army, and they would offer peace to those places. And of course, the peace would come with for a price. And the price for the peace was that the citizens of such cities and towns would promise to submit to the authority of Alexander the Great, and that they would agree to pay whatever taxes the emperor would demand from them. But if a city would reject those heralds who were traveling ahead of him, and they would also reject the peace that was offered, and then it would be attacked and destroyed by Alexander and his army. It's all interesting, where, where am I going with this? Well, let's for a moment look in our Bibles and turn to chapter 9, verse 51. Chapter 9, verse 51. If you still have your Bibles open, it is on the same page. So, chapter 9, verse 51. Now it came to pass, when the time had come for him, for the Lord Jesus, that is, to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. See, the Lord Jesus knew that the days were near for him to be received up, to be taken up to the throne of God, but he would have been given authority to rule all things. And so the kingdom of God had come near. And it is therefore that the Lord sent out those 70 disciples. Two by two they go ahead of him as emissaries, as heralds. With a message, the kingdom of God has come near you. And they were to offer peace where they were going. And if they were not accepted, they were to wipe off the dust of the town from their feet as a warning, as a witness against them. And then in verse 12 of the chapter we just read, we read that things would not go well in the future for that city of that town, and that it would actually be more tolerable for Sodom on that day. And so these disciples, all 70 of them, had to visit all the towns 
and all the places which the Lord Jesus himself would visit on his way to Jerusalem. So we see him, the king, on his way to his throne, and his messages two and two going ahead of him to prepare the way. Well, while all this was going on, the Lord Jesus was still up in Galilee. He was about to begin his journey journey towards Jerusalem, towards the throne, and journey which would take him through Samaria and then through Judea to Jerusalem. But then from Jerusalem, the Lord would turn east again to the east side of the Jordan. He would travel through the whole area that's called Perea. And on his way back, he would cross the Jordan River again and travel to Jericho. And that's done for the last time up to Jerusalem. It was going to be a long journey. And we can just imagine that many towns needed to be visited by those 70 disciples. And we don't know how long it took them to visit all those towns, but 35 teams of two disciples each can visit a lot of towns in a relatively short time. Now, I think that we can all imagine that when the Lord appointed those 70 disciples to visit all those towns with their message, that they themselves were kind of nervous about the task. Just put yourself in their shoes. There you go. With one of you, with your teammate. Go into the towns. Expect all the opposition, and so did they. They would probably come in towns where there were Pharisees and, and scribes, who would oppose them, just as they so fanatically had opposed their Lord. But whatever their thoughts and their feelings might have been, the Bible tells us that they went, and that they did what the Lord commanded them. And so there were no towns and there were no places left where the Lord Jesus' arrival would be unexpected. The people everywhere knew that he was coming, and so they had plenty of time to make up their mind. Whether to believe that the Lord Jesus was the promised Messiah, the great son of David, the great king, or to reject him, as the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had told them to do. Now our passage of this morning is about what happens after these disciples, these heralds of the approaching kingdom of God return to the Lord Jesus. And so let's look at this return of the 70 disciples. Under the team, the return of the messengers. And then we see three things. First, the messengers' joyful report to the Lord Jesus. And then we also look at the Lord's watchfulness over his messengers. And then, lastly, that the Lord Jesus reveals a great joy. In verse 17 of our text, we read, And the seventy returned with joy. Brothers and sisters, just as we are able to understand that these men would have been somewhat nervous about their task before they were going, we are also able to understand their joy at their return. They had obeyed the Lord's command to go and proclaim the message of the approaching king, the kingdom of God. They had offered peace, the peace of the Lord Jesus offered to all the towns and villages through which he would travel. And maybe not all, but many of those towns had received them well. And many people had listened to the message. It was really exciting. And we know this 
because the Lord had commanded them that they should heal the sick only in those towns that received them well. And it is obvious from our passage that not only the healing of the sick, but also the casting out of the demons, which they had been able to do, was for a large part the reason of their joy. They had seen and experienced some of the power of the kingdom of God. Seen changes in people's lives. So they were full of joy. Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. It was also wonderful to them. And they know there's not because of their power, their, their faith, or their prayers, or their works. It's all because of the power of their Lord. It was in the Lord's name that the demons had, submit, had submitted themselves to them. And it is awesome, is it not, brothers and sisters, to see the Lord's power at work upon bringing the good news. So, brothers and sisters, what happened to those 70 disciples is on the one hand very unique, of course. In our time, you don't hear that people are able to heal the sick and and cast out evil spirits in the Lord's name. But on the other hand, there is also an element which is not so unique and which happens also in our time. And I hope it happens a lot among you. And that is the experience of that awesome joy upon faithfully performing the tasks that the Lord gives each one of you. Is it not a great joy, brothers and sisters, when you see your prayers for somebody else answered? You prayed for a brother or a sister who was seriously ill, and you may witness that the Lord favorably answered this prayer. Joy. What joy it is when you have an opportunity to tell someone about the Lord Jesus, about his love about his care and compassion, about the forgiveness of sins by him. And then you see new hope shine in the eyes of those you witness to, young people, and not only young people, I'm going to address for a moment our young people. You have a great task set before you by the Lord. So I'm going to begin with, do you know, the kind of happiness. In our time there are, so many young people of your own age everywhere who live in a continuous state of unhappiness. Really. Many of them are afraid of life. They see brokenness everywhere. Their parents are not together any longer or they cannot get along anymore. They see no future for themselves and so they are truly hopeless. Many feel lonely. Many feel neglected, rejected even. And so they go from one day into another, sad, forlorn, lost, often bitter and discomforted. And then they try to create their own world in social media and accumulate so many friends. Others, they flee to alcohol and drugs in order to make their lives bearable. And others again purposely hurt themselves in order to cope with the intense anger and frustration of a life without direction, a life set adrift too young and too long. So young people, do you have any idea how blessed you are that you belong to the Lord Jesus? So what about it? It will give you awesome joy if you use the opportunities that the Lord gives you to show your Savior to others. To tell them that there is hope. To tell them that there is an awesome peace and a wonderful future 
The Lord Jesus gives to people that turn to him in repentance. It is really a joy to to be able to tell them that your Savior is able to give them rest. That he is the only real medicine for a guilty soul and a broken heart. You see, whatever it is, if you faithfully do the task that the Lord gives you to shine his light, to bring his message, then you will. Absolutely you will experience that same joy that the 70 disciples had in our passage when they returned from their task. The sad thing is that there are so many believers in our time for whom it seems that they experience so little of that joy. Why is that? Could it be that this is so because so many believers, young as well as old, live in kind of fear? Could it be that they are afraid, maybe even ashamed to openly share what they believe. They are afraid for the rejection, for the rude language that will come at you. Of afraid of being mocked. Fear. And if that is so, then ask the Lord to free you from that demon. At least that, that demon will be subject to you in his name. The demon of fear that have paralyzed the churches in North America and Western Europe for 60, 70 years. Ask him for courage, for opportunities, for wisdom at the beginning of each day. Ask him to send you on the road as once he did with his disciples. Many Christian radio programs were told how our society becomes increasingly anti-Christian. And that's true. We are told how biblical morals are trampled on the foot. That's true too. We are warned how dangerous it becomes to openly say that the Bible condemns homosexual living and sex outside marriage and abortion and euthanasia and so on. And the list is becoming longer all the time. It's all true. And then we are told in those programs that we nevertheless must oppose these things and how. And that we must not allow ourselves to be intimidated by the increasing aggression against Christians. And then at times we are encouraged to demonstrate against these things, peacefully of course. And we must write to our representatives and, uh, and in the governments. We, ne- we need to let ourselves be heard as Christian citizens that we are against what's going on. And we have been doing that for quite a while. And who listens? And to many people, doing all this sounds so daunting, also so, so intimidating. And therefore many believers discover that they are actually, no, they are not so brave. They are also not so knowledgeable, you know. And then they decide, decide that it's better, is, that it's better to, to lay low, to lay low, not to rock the boat. And so, so many of the Lord's people are like bruised reeds. The smoldering wicks. The brothers and sisters, the true antidote against the paganism, the ungodliness, and the decadence of our time is not in the first place to proclaim and protest and demonstrate what you're all against. That's not it. That may cause at times some joy of self-satisfaction, but way more often frustration. The antidote against all this is you Telling and showing what you are for. Or well, 
telling him who is for you. When the Apostle Paul visited Athens, then he saw all those idols and all those altars everywhere on the street corners. But he did not begin his sermons to the Athenian philosophers by proclaiming that he was against all those. No, he complimented them with the fact that they were obviously very religious. And then he preached to them the God whose altar he had seen, but was unknown to those philosophers. The Lord Jesus calls his people to tell others about him, to tell people the gospel of forgiveness of sins, the gospel of eternal life, the gospel of the kingdom of God, the gospel of peace and hope, the gospel of God, who gave his only begotten Son to save them, so that they do not need to perish. The gospel of a glorious future for all those who have now no hope to bring the good news that is the task that the Lord gave to his church and to each one of his people. He gave them all that task according to the grace he gave them and we all must be focused upon it. We all must live more aware that we are different in this world but that we have an awesome message to carry into this world. And no, that doesn't mean that you need to stop people on the streets. You may, of course. To show them the love of Christ. To show them patience. Never to show them any hostility. Once you are an enemy of the Lord Jesus Christ and he died for you, please follow his example. And be kind to those who will not be kind to you. So important. Especially in this time when we, we, we read the newspapers or we watch the news or we watch YouTube, whatever you watch, and you see that the, really our whole society is going down. Not supposed to hide a little bit more. Like the 70 disciples, may, we may bring with word and deed the good news, the gospel of the kingdom of God to all those whom the Lord places upon our life's path. And we need to let our love for him win out over our fear. Our love for him is able to drive out all fears. And then we will experience that same awesome joy that those 70 disciples had. Well, let's now look at the second point, how the Lord Jesus has been watchful over his messengers while they were going out, while they were doing the task that he had given them. See how the Lord Jesus watched over them. In verse 18 of our passage we read, And he, the Lord Jesus, said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now at first glance, you may find his answer somewhat strange, somewhat mysterious maybe, but if you take a closer look at it, you will find that his response to the disciples was actually very comforting. And so the first thing we look closer at in that sentence is the word saw in our text. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. But the Greek word that is translated with our word saw in our text doesn't mean a quick glance, but a continued watching. And so we could read that the Lord Jesus said, I watched Satan falling like lightning from heaven. You see, sometimes we say to each other, I saw the hockey or the football game last night. What we mean then, that we just walked 
past the TV and had a quick glance and, and went on. No, we have been watching the whole game. And that's what the Lord Jesus had been doing. All the time that those 70 disciples were on the road doing the task, he was watching them. He was watching the enemy. He was watching Satan. And then we read that the Lord tells them that he watched Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And that is actually the comforting part, the encouraging part. All the while the 70 disciples were proclaiming the kingdom of God, the king of that kingdom kept an eye on the enemy of Satan. That was by far the most vicious and lethal enemy. And the Lord had been watching him so that they could not, Satan could not have his way with his messengers. And the Lord still does this to all those who faithfully let the light of the gospel shine. Also in our rapidly darkening pagan society of today. What we learn from question and answer 51 in the Heidelberg Catechism says that Christ by his power defends and preserves us against all enemies. And the most foremost of those enemies is Satan. The Lord watches closely over all his faithful messengers. The Lord's disciples had been doing what the Lord had told them, and the Lord watched Satan. He had watched Satan's reaction upon the proclaiming of that approaching kingdom of God by those 70 disciples. And what was Satan's reaction? He said it. I watched Satan falling like lightning from heaven. And there had been many discussions about how it is possible that Satan would fall from heaven. Well, to be sure, Satan was not in heaven, and the Lord seemed not falling out of heaven either. You see, this is actually not what the Lord Jesus said. He said he had been watching Satan. And how was Satan behaving? Well, Satan was behaving like lightning that falls from heaven. The Lord puts 70, 35 teams of messengers ahead of him to, pro- to proclaim that coming cre- kingdom of God. And it has always been true that where the kingdom of God is active, Satan becomes active too. In our text, those 70 disciples had gone down all over the country to proclaim the kingdom of God and to show its power by healing the sick and by casting out demons. And Satan's movement has become like lightning that falls out of heaven. Just as we can see it at times on a heavy thunderstorm on a summer night, one moment the lightning flashes on one end of the sky. And a split second later, it flashes on the other hand. It strikes a lonely tree in the field. And hardly a second later, later it hits the ground in another place. It moves so fast that it almost looks like it is everywhere all the time. And so had it been with Satan. He had wanted so badly to stop the proclamation of the kingdom of God. But the Lord had been watching him. And he had not allowed Satan to succeed. That's why the Lord in verse 19 says to his disciples, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. And so it was that those 70 disciples, filled with joyous excitement, told the Lord that even the demons were subject to them in Jesus' name. The Lord Jesus, he protected his disciples and he, he will protect you. If you obey his calling, then he is watching your enemies. And see now how how truly awesome is the Lord's care for his people, brothers and sisters. But you need to trust him. He will do that. It's part of 
through faith, is it? To trust Him. To believe Him. Not only to believe in Him, but to believe Him. Believe what He says. The Lord knows what Satan will do. And He knows everything He can. That He will do everything He can to destroy the church and to harm God's people. He knows that Satan will try to stop the advance of the kingdom and that he tries to destroy the joy of the Lord's faithful people. Trying to destroy the joy of being a Christian by meanness and the deadliness like that of the poison of serpents and scorpions. The Lord knows that Satan will throw all his evil power and violent energy at his people. He knows that Satan will unleash a horde of demons and evil against them. It's still true that wherever Christ builds a church, Satan will build a cathedral right next to it. Satan is that powerful. And he will not succeed. Because the Lord gives his people greater power. His power. He guarantees them that nothing shall hurt them. His disciples, his people may be assured that they will never fight their battles alone. Now, does all this mean then that things are going to be easy? No. The Lord told us that we will have tribulation, we will have hardship, that the world will hate us, that they will even kill you and think that they do God a favor. But he will give you the power to overcome all this when it comes. The Lord already has assured the victory. The Lord will always watch the enemy and he will give his people the power to overcome whatever Satan may throw at them. He gives them the power to share in the victory of the kingdom. So brothers and sisters, what a king. What honor to work for him in his kingdom. In our text the Lord Jesus goes on to encourage his disciples even more. As you'll see now in the third point that the Lord reveals an even greater joy than the ex- disciples experience on the day that they returned to him. In verse 20, we read that the Lord Jesus said to his disciples, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, what does the Lord mean exactly with this? Does the Lord mean that the disciples should not be rejoicing over that demons are subject to them? To them? But only about the fact that their names are written in heaven? No, that's not what the Lord means. The Lord's people may certainly rejoice about it, that demons are, su- are subject to them. You may say, certainly rejoice that those demons that instill fear in you or hatred against others, that they are subject to you in Jesus' name. Of course you may rejoice when you see that Satan is not able to to stop the advance of God's kingdom. Often the Lord, as he has always done, encourages his people by showing them the power of the gospel and the result of the work that his people in his name have been doing. And it's just awesome to see people turning to the Lord. It's just so exciting to see that the works of Satan are thwarted, hindered, of course. And we, we, we may rejoice in those things. The Lord wants us to rejoice in these things. But what the Lord Jesus means here is that there is an even greater joy for, for his people than the amazing experience that even demons submit to them. And the greater joy is that their names are written in heaven. How do they know that? How do they know that their names are written in heaven so that they can rejoice about it? They know it for sure the moment that they obey the task that the Lord gave them. 
moment that you can tell someone about the love of Christ, there is no doubt in your heart that your names are written in heaven. That's the greater joy that the Lord Jesus sets before his disciples and before us. It's a joy that motivates you to proclaim the gospel of God's kingdom faithfully whenever and wherever the Lord gives you opportunity. You see, if, if, if your joy and your motivation would ultimately be in the authority the Lord gives you for doing his task and the success you experience in doing it, then the joy would only be temporary. But the joy of having, the joy of having demons subject to you is a great joy. But even Judas must have known that joy for the time. But he never knew that greater joy of knowing that his name was written in heaven. The joy that even demons are subject to you in Jesus' name would quickly disappear in times when you don't see immediate success. You see way more opposition. In those times that Satan seems to win this little joy about demons being subject to you. But if you know, if you have the certainty that your names are written in heaven, they have a joy that stays with you even if this world will be filled with devils. Faithful Christians of all time and all places receive the certainty that their names are written in heaven by doing the work of the kingdom, doing good works. You will know for sure that God wrote with his own hand your names in the book of life that is before him. And you know for sure that he has set you upon a path to an eternal, eternal and marvelous victory and glory. And what more joy can you have? Brothers and sisters, young people, do you want to know for sure that your name is written in heaven in the book of life? Do you want to have the joy of knowing this for absolutely sure it's yours? Every time that you do what the Lord calls all his people to do. It's yours every time that in one way or another you do what the 70 disciples have been doing in our text. Proclaiming the message of the kingdom of God by being kind, by being hospitable. Yes, you may proclaim it by words, but also with deeds. Living your faith wherever the Lord places you. You may proclaim it at home, in school, at a job site. You may look your unbelieving neighbors in their eyes and love them as Christ loved you while you were still enemies. And this is true. Not everyone of us get the same opportunities and, and, and have the same talents. And you do not need to aspire to greatness first. You may do it where you are and with whatever talents you have been given. Obeying Lord's calling, you may rejoice in the victories which the Lord will work through you in others. You'll have joy and peace even if you do not right away see the victories. And you may rejoice in the fact that the Lord is watching Satan and that Satan has nothing on you. But the greater joy is that your names are written in heaven. And no Satan with all his demons and tricks, no world with all his temptations, with all his violence and hatred, and no, not even your old nature with all its sinful desires and weaknesses are able to erase your names from the book of life. What an awesome joy. What a great Savior do we all have. What an awesome King is he and what is he worthy to serve and to be obeyed. And so, one more time, brothers and sisters, young people, be faithful to your calling and be a light where you live, where you work, wherever you go, 
Confess your Savior's name into the world faithfully. Proclaim the gospel of God's kingdom in the way you live, in the way you interact with those who do not believe yet. Be frightening at times, oh yes. But remember that while you are doing that, even with all your shortcomings, with all your weaknesses, maybe even with fear and trembling in your heart, He, your mighty and loving and all-powerful Savior, is watching the enemies. And he will, as he did to those 70 disciples, give you all you need to overcome. And that is comforting and encouraging and great joy. Greater joy is to know that while the enemy is trying to silence you and tries to remove you from this world, your names are already written in heaven. You are already citizens with an address in the eternal kingdom of God. Amen.